McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Bobby fans, and welcome to Pure Forecast episode 80. Well, the new season is back, and where will Pompey come? Will they push for promotion, or will they not? Joining me back on the podcast, regular co-hosts, Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Evening, mate. Not too bad, thank you. Yeah, living the dream. Um, slightly better mood than when we did the uh, the post playoff podcast um and all that positivity is back like that that false hope right that's right mate um, um are you, have you managed to stop drinking since the uh the oxford loss yeah i feel like you're giving me a reputation mate i barely touch alcohol and uh you seem to be deciding to tell people that i have some sort of problem um but yeah i have not drunk for 26 hours so pretty, <laughs> pretty strong <laughs> <laughs> yes mate love that <laughs> joining us as well is uh freddie webb how are you freddie uh, i'm doing great hugh uh, yeah yeah um more positive about the season because of uh the recent news about transfers which we'll go into later and yeah i can't wait to talk about it so talking about transfers coming up later we've got two great interviews so you know a little bit more uh, about the new fullbacks we signed so it's phil from the accrington across the pitch podcast for callum johnson and Tom from the Warsaw podcast, or One Pod Beyond, to give us the lowdown on Cameron Pring. I will also be previewing the game against Shrewsbury to finish off the show. I've just added this in a little bit late because we've added the interview. So if it sounds a little bit weird, because I'm currently recording it in a telephone box in my office. So let's get started with the Colchester review. Building up to it, this is, we're recording on Wednesday. We've just had the, the win against Colchester and, you know, a 2 0 win. How are you feeling about it, Andy? I think we're starting to see the 11 that Kenny Jackett will want to start the the league season with. I mean, if you look at the the Stevenage and Colchester games, he's tinkered a little bit. Um, and I th- I'd imagine what we saw against Colchester will be the starting 11 against Shrewsbury um, at the weekend. Uh, yeah. I'm a firm believer that winning breeds winning. So I'm certainly not going to, you know be too disparaging about uh, these cups that we're in, the trophies that we're in that maybe would be lower priority. Um, but there are definitely some pros to see, I think, since the first half against Stevenage. The second half in that game and then this Colchester game, I'd say the signs are pretty positive. They're both games you'd expect us to win. Um, but we've seen some nice link-up play, particularly between um, Curtis and Harness. Uh, Curtis in particular, I think, has looked really dangerous and sort of hit the ground running, literally. Um, so, yeah, definitely some uh, some positives to take. And as I say, it's a result business, isn't it? And this podcast would be very different if we'd come in having lost that Stevenage game on pens and then gone down at home to Colchester United. So, yeah, take the positives where we can see them for sure. There's not really too much to complain about from that last game, I don't think. Harness had an excellent game. Um, obviously, scoring the brace in two minutes, any player, any player has to have a good game after that. But no, he was helped out a lot by the right back, uh, Johnson supporting him off the ball. We said last season that Curtis looked a lot better when there was Seddon and Cannon on that left left hand side, linking up the play with him really well. And I think that's what Portsmouth need to do. They need to employ that high press. And yeah, w- will they be slightly defensively worse off for playing those fullbacks potentially? But I think. Um, the benefits it gives to Portsmouth going forward, I think that's fine. If you want to go more defensive, you can just drop Tom Naylor or Bryn Morris back. So, so you effectively play three at the back on on the ball. But no, but no, the fullbacks did an excellent job, and the performance the performance from the first half an hour at Stevenage to the Colchester game was night and day, in my opinion. 
Yeah, massively. I'm just thinking with the centre of midfield because when you've got two fullbacks bombing forward, we've actually criticised Kenny Jacket for you know playing two holding midfielders essentially at home, especially. When you've got two fullbacks bombing forward like that, do you think it's in some ways more plausible to have those two holding players, Andy, who may provide some more cover? So, you know, Tom Naylor just drops back a little bit more. Um, then you've still got another midfielder who's not necessarily pressing high up the pitch. Or do you think we still need to have two midfielders in the centre pressing high? No, I think you've pretty much hit the nail on the head there. I quite like us having that Morris and Naylor sitting yeah, slightly deeper with potentially... Um, one in front of them in the triangle. And again, one of the things, I can't remember who it was said on Twitter. I think we're going to cover it later. I think it was Jacket's Jacket on Twitter said that if we've got that Naylor Morris Cannon uh, triangle, we can always have Cannon, yeah, pushing up to a 10 roll uh, with Morris dropping deeper. And you can kind of, yeah, you can invert the triangle essentially uh, if needs be. So it gives us a bit of sort of a bit of fluidity without making wholesale changes. Uh, depending on the amount of success that the fullbacks are having, uh, and I guess depending on the, the time point in the game, whether we're pushing for a goal or defending a lead, um, I quite like how fluid that that formation is with those three players in that central role. And what, what I'd like to know from both of you really is, Brim Morris, what do you think in particular it is that Kenny Jacket sees of him attribute-wise that makes him start over, say, Ben Close or even Andy Cannon playing in a more defensive role? To be quite honest with you, I don't know. <laughs> well, in the Stevens game, as much as there was a lot wrong with it, I thought Morris had an excellent game there. He was the link between the centre-halves and the back four and the play going forward, mainly because we didn't have a ball-playing centre-half there. So he dropped deep, collected the ball, and sprayed passes around, essentially. The thing is, for me, though, I think Ben Close does it, has the capability to do that a lot better and moves off the ball a lot better. But I've only seen Morris four times, so I'm not going to complain too much if, for example, Jacket just says, right, Morris gets the first five, ten games and see how he does. No, I think he's going to. I think he's definitely seems to be cemented to start in the team. Andy, can you what what's your thinking of Brim Morris over say Ben Close or Andy Cannon in that yeah, role? Yeah, I I do think it's quite interesting how Ben Close has kind of got, disappeared a bit from the, the even the conversation about starting in that position. Kenny Jack, it seems to have decided that, as Freddie says, Bryn Morris is going to be that go-to first-choice option for at least the first few games of the season. Um, I think he'll see Morris as sort of a solid, you'd hope to get a 7 out of 10 plus every game from him, potentially that solid but not spectacular role. Whereas Ben Close is potentially stronger at that intricate play that can potentially see him run a game, but he has been known to disappear a bit in uh, in other matches. So I think that what Kenny Jacket is potentially trying to put together here is with the knowledge that our two centre-backs, you know, it's a, it's a iffy position. Let's say that at the moment. If you've got two solid centre-defensive midfielders who are going to put in that 7 out of 10 performance, be fairly physical, and as Freddie says, come deep and collect um, the ball from the centre-backs, come short, um, and sort of build forward from there, because, yeah, you'd say looking at our team on paper, you know, it's not a rocket science that centre-back is potentially the the weakest position on the park. So having two fairly defensively-minded central defensive midfielders who will drop deep can, can give us sort of that solid base that we would potentially be lacking otherwise. So I don't mind it at all, to be honest with you. Um, he's not had a, a, a serious run of games yet without being um, at least hampered by injury. So I think you've got to give him that first at least five games to to get a bit of momentum going and get used to that game environment again. I think the only um, I have two worries about it really. If, for example, we go with Downing and Raggett at centre half in the Stevenage game, Stevenage dropped deep a lot, especially in the second half. And Morris had all the time in the world to pick his passes. If we're against a better team who presses, and our only out ball is Morris, effectively going in between the centre halves. If they press him, he'll have no time on the ball, and we'll lose it a lot. So I think maybe a, a midfielder like Ben Close, who obviously can drop deep and pass like that, but also has the creativity to beat a player on the ball, I think he could do much better there, personally. So, and also, Sorry, jump, jumping in, Freddie. So would you want Close to come deep in the same way that Morris does, but then you'd back Close to beat the man, basically? Is that what you're saying, or are you suggesting that we would play it out differently? 
Uh, precisely. If it, it, well, that's without a ball playing centre half. But we have Jack Warbaugh, who played in that Colchester game, played really well, and was a major difference in how Portsmouth played. Um, also, for me, Ben Close is a better defensive player. Um, people talk about him going missing in games. He's got so he's got very good um, analytics for win, winning duels in the midfield, defensive or offensive. Um, he's the only thing is he's not good in the air. So if if you're playing against a side like Blackpool, who launch it long a lot and have brutes in the centre of midfield, he'll struggle a bit. But so too will Morris as well. But no, I'm willing to give Morris a Morris a chance. Obviously, he. But the problem is for me. Apart from that game against Stevenage, so far he hasn't justified all the upheaval and kerfuffle about dropping Ben Close at Andy Cannon. No, that's understandable. Um, I think only t- I think all we can say really, boys, is time will tell on Bryn Morris, isn't it? Because we haven't seen enough of him play in a run. Uh, wasn't too happy that he started in the playoffs, but let's you know it's a new season. Let's see what he's got and let's see if he can play some summer football throughout the year and uh, you know try and bring some success. But Okay, we talked a little bit about the defenders. Let's get into it. Uh, Jack Watmore returns for Pompey. I was a bit surprised he came back in, not obviously because of the talent, because he's you know wildly talented and you know our most talented centre back. But you know, I didn't know if maybe Kenny Jacket didn't fancy him playing him, or on the other hand, maybe he wasn't fit enough to play. So Jack Watmore comes back into the side. Uh, he makes a good impression against Colchester. He gets the assist against Har- uh, for Harness's goal. The thing is, I'm I'm wondering, boys, is are Pompey going to think that that's enough now and roll the dice with James Bolton as you know potentially backing up as a, a you know a backup centre back, um, or are we actually going to go out and bring in another centre back, which I think is desperately needed myself because as good as Jack Watmore is, can we rely on him for the whole season, or are we then basically potentially saying that Paul Downing could be one of our main centre backs? Do you want to take that one, Freddie? I, I think um, everyone knows. Yeah, might of course be on the I can. Um, they need another centre back who can play uh, who can play the ball out from the back. Also, had ball playing centre backs since Paul Cook's first season, and it was painfully obvious to everybody. Yes, I'm bringing back the Stevenage game again. How bad it was, simply because they didn't play the ball out from the back in a way that that that, that where they could control possession. That defending in that game was awful, and it showed it showed Kenny that how badly they need a centre half to not necessarily drive play, but break out play properly, make the right pass to the fullbacks or the Brim Morris type of midfielder who drops deep a bit. They they need that, and I think I think going into the season with three natural centre halves, I think that's a problem. You, you, if Portsmouth go deep in any of the cups, they'll be playing 55, 60 games again. You're not telling me that free, that free natural centre halves is is uh, good enough there, and yeah, Brit James Bolton can fill in at centre half, but he, I don't think personally he's got the capability to play like Joe Watmore can. So no, I, of, course, of course he hasn't, mate. Mm. He a hundred percent doesn't have the the ability to play as per Jack Watmore. But let's see if the club can go out and sign someone. So. When the club were, you know, we look around at the news of who the club are interested in. Uh, Neil Allen, for instance, he posted out that um, Harry Souter, for instance, was interested. Um, people might have shouted, shouted at him on Twitter. I didn't shout at him. I just said that <laughs> his article was uh, was muddled, basically, because it was. So let's be honest. Um, the article started with interested in Harry Souter. Then the next two lines are basically outlining why we weren't going to sign him, which pretty much seems odd to me. Um and look, look, Neil Allen, right? Not trying to start some Grime-style battle against this where we have some sort of beef going on. But just sometimes the news needs to take a little bit of responsibility, not looking at revenue, and do articles based on journalistic content and what's going on. But, you know, that's what I say about that. Harry Suter, though, would he be a good target in theory? I think he's a bit of an unattainable target. Andy, do you think we can sign Harry Suter? Or if not, who do we need? Um, that's not a topic I've got any real input or information on, mate. I've not done my reading on that, on that target. Um, I think I've, I completely agree with everything Freddie's just essentially said about the number of the number of centre backs we have in the squad relating to the number of games that we're potentially going to play in the season. Uh, am I right in thinking that at the moment we've got one squad place left if no one else goes out on loan? Is that right? 
I believe I that is so. the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it would be nice to think we'll bring in a centre back. I agree with Freddie. I mean, if with with all the love in the world, if Paul Downing is our third choice centre back, or sorry, uh, yeah, third choice centre back for a, for a season lasting fifty something games, um, I think the number of mistakes over the course of the season could be the difference between, you know, promotion candidates. I mean, we've seen this the. We've seen the margins it comes down to at the end of the season, last season, and to be fair, the season before. It comes down to one or two key moments throughout the season. And I feel like we're going to lose between three and six points over the course of the season because of individual mistakes if we don't bring someone in. Um, that's that's my honest opinion on it, yeah. Freddie, do you think we can go out and sign a marquee centre-back signing like Harry Suter? Or do you feel that maybe this is just a bit of hyperbole from the media or the club just trying to sort of put names out there linked with the club and maybe a bit more of a subtle sort of on loan signing is probably more likely to be incoming. On the, on the article from Neil Allen, I'll say in the headline, it said Portsmouth sort are of targeting him. But for me, targeting means on a short list. Uh, obviously, obviously being someone who wants to be a journalist myself, I'm going to defend him to a certain extent, but it, it it wasn't great to say, oh, Portsmouth, Portsmouth are looking at him, blah, 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 and it's the third line. Oh, it's unlikely because of X, Y, Z. But it is true. I do think that Harry Suter is a bit out of reach simply because I think we probably couldn't afford him because of the salary cap. So I think, and uh, and also, Jacket likes Raggett a lot. And if you go into the season with Watmore and Raggett as the first two, are you really going to... Sign a centre back and say, "Oh, your third choice." No, it's not going to happen. So no, but I think ca- it, it, does he not think that Jack will be the third choice? Or just a basis on, based on t- fitness, isn't it? Surely. Mm-hmm. I mean, can well, you see? I, I sincerely hope he does get through this season without any injuries. I, I would absolutely love to see that. But the track record with knee injuries is they are recurrent, and once you've had one serious ACL injury, you are statistically a lot more predisposed to having repeat injuries. Um, so statistically, it's likely he's going to get injured again at some point. And I sincerely hope that doesn't happen. But you've got to prepare for that situation when it is statistically likely, I think. Um, and that doesn't seem to have happened, in my opinion, when first game of the season, we're starting Downing and Ragged at centre-back, when at least one out of those two I wouldn't have in my matchday squad, to be honest. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, I've said what I've said about about Raggett and last season he came on leaps and bounds and I thought it was quality um, in the second half of the season but he really started slowly um, and until I think Christian Burgess playing alongside him helped marshal him into into helping with his positioning and, and his, his decision making it, it's amazing how different Raggett looks when he's playing next to a competent calm ball playing uh, defender a bit like um, like Jack Watmore or Christian Burgess so, yeah, it was it was exactly the same for Paul Downing as well. I saw Paul Downing at first away at Sunderland, and he was good next to Burgess. I thought, okay, that's the pairing. That. That, that's the pairing they're going with. No, I, I, in that game, I didn't think he Downing was at fault for any of the goals. But the but point yeah, you is, don't, you, mate, you don't, you don't rate the defenders whether they were at fault for any of the goals you did <laughs> in that one game. That's not. That's like saying, ah, oh, um, a wicketkeeper in cricket. Yeah, he didn't really, really screw up in that innings. Like. They, you get credit for being a good centre back, like being a good wicket keeper. If you, you you're not noticed, if you're solid, like I, I don't think you can say someone had a good game because they weren't at fault for any goals on that on that particular occasion. I, yeah, Fair you know enough. it's a sore spot but for me. Point I will make though is you need a ball playing centre back, and then a, a more traditional centre back just to mop mop everything up. I think Portsmouth are much better when they have that balance there, and yeah. Yes, they are indeed. So that means we need to go out and get a ball-playing centre-back. The only issue I've got with this is that finding a ball-playing centre-back who maybe you think isn't going to start behind Jack Watmore is not going to be the kind of ball-playing centre-back you want to play next to Raggett if Jack Watmore isn't there. So you either go out and get a you know a marquee, decent centre-back, quality centre-back, and then play him alongside Jack Watmore rather than Raggett if, if that's the case, if Jack Watmore is fit. Um, and then you accept that Raggett plays three, but you know, number three at centre back, and that would be the, the strongest situation to go into. Having a situation where effectively you've got Jack Watmore, if fit, playing 
alongside another centre back, and then having Raggett basically as the rotation centre back, um, which will probably end up playing a lot of the season anyway with Jack Watmore's injuries. Um, just moving on then to the centre attacking midfield, there's a bit of an outcry online uh, due to the the Sammy Schmodix um, ordeal, is what I'm going to call it, or Schmodix Gate, whatever you want to call it. But obviously, Sammy Swadek signed for Peterborough. I think it was on a four-year deal, uh, fee over £1 million. It was it was difficult to take to some Pompey fans, but I'm not very surprised. Freddie, we spoke about Sammy Swadek in the midfielder's transfer window episode, whatever we called it. Um, he was a great a great option to get. But do you think now with the direction of the fullbacks and stuff, we've already said that is the cam role basically redundant? Um, and do you think that Pompey were truly interested in Sammy Schwadix or just making up the numbers? Uh, <clears throat> I think it was a situation where they thought, oh, we'll just put in a feeler bid on loan. And if Bristol City couldn't get rid of him on a permanent or send him anywhere else, that he would go to Portsmouth. But as soon as a permanent bid came in for a team that will play him every week and will and has the space for the salary cap to pay him properly, yeah, Portsmouth were outbid completely on that. Regarding the number 10 role, I do think it's not completely redundant, but it's a bit different from a creativity perspective. We're not going to have that stereotypical advanced playmaker playing as the number 10. We're basically the number 10 role really would be the sort of player to either press very high and create space for the wingers, i.e. Andy Cannon, or drift a little bit, contribute to the midfield, but then arrive late in the box with a bit of a scoring touch, aka Gareth Evans. I think um, the options there are okay. You can put Harness at 10 if you want a more creative, it's a creative number 10. But he offers so much on that right-hand side and Ports have scored most of their goals from wide positions, so I don't think I would um, alleviate a strength to uh, fill in at number 10 for me. Um, it is a luxury, but if, if it's the choice between centre-back and attacking midfield... I know I said last podcast that the cam was the priority. No, the setback's the priority if you had to choose between the two. Yeah, definitely. And do you know what, Freddie? That is an amazing segue. That's what I have you on the podcast, not just for the good looks that nobody can see. Because we put the <laughs> quick we put the question out to you lovely people listening and thank you again for everyone who responds. Um, yeah, it, it really makes the show and we really appreciate it, especially since we're just getting back in the swing of it for the new season after we had about a week and a half off. Um, Marcus Harness grabbed a brace in the impressive match against Colchester. Is Harness the answer at Cam, as we've said? Should he stay on the right? Um, and also, let us know your lineups and score predictions for the game against Shrewsbury. Um, Okie dokie. So let's have a look at them. As we said here, Freddie, you were talking about whether he should come into the middle or play on the right. Matt Corrick messaged in. Thank you, Matt. He says, stay on the right. Now we have a right back that will support him and draw defenders off him. I think we will see more of this type of performance. We'll see more of the type of performances we expect from him as a winger. Use a full stop, mate. Um, yeah, all right. I, I sort of agree with that. I think that you could see the danger he has. And we've got Ronan Curtis on the left-hand side who, you know, who likes to drift inside and score. But, you know, on the right-hand side, it's been a bit muted, isn't it? And not all blaming Ryan Williams, but he's not the most potent going forward on the right. Maybe this could be a breakout season if he has to cover harness on that side. But do we feel now a little bit more, Andy, that we've got that balance a little bit of almost the Curtis low double on either side of him? Yeah, I would pretend I'd personally keep harness on the right myself for the, the vast majority of situations. Um, I quite like that look on paper of the Johnson right back harness right wing Pring left back, Curtis left wing. I quite like that sort of combination of double acts. And because let's face it, we've been trying to recreate that right wing attacking threat since Jamalo left. And at times, Harness was able to do that last season. At times, he wasn't, depending on the opposition and how the opposition lined up against us. Um, I'd prefer to see him, yeah, on the right wing with, yeah, potentially someone like Cannon sitting in that cam role if we, uh, if we do decide to stick with that formation. Um, I think putting him in the middle is potentially a bit of... It puts a lot of pressure on Ryan Williams, who works extremely hard. I think don't think anyone would say he doesn't work extremely hard, but there is sometimes a lack of end product there. And I said earlier that our, our weakest position on paper is that centre-back position. Um, our strongest threat, or our strongest positions, I think, are attacking from the wings. That, that Curtis, Harness, sort of, 
double teaming from from uh, each wing is yeah it's our most potent attacking threat so i think breaking that up would be risky to put it mildly that's that's my view no, I agree. And also, Andy, I think as we've said, now we've got the, the two fullbacks who can push up and provide that link on the overlap. Hopefully we'll see lot a lot less sort of cross-field balls coming from the back, hopingly lofted towards Curtis and hoping that he can control it, you know, or Naylor driving it right or left to, to one of the wingers. Because we can get the ball now in the middle and then shift it out to the fullbacks. We can naturally progress the ball for, further forward rather than actually having to... Um, having to hoof it up basically yeah so exactly right. this... like those those wingers they you your attacking wingers don't make a difference on the game by pumping the ball up to them so they can chest it down facing away from goal that's not that's clearly not how you best utilize uh sort of a, a an attacking wing player exactly exactly and um, we touched on it already but jacket's jacket uh messaged in and cheers mate even uh, did the lineup for us that's much appreciated and he put if the attacking fullbacks in the lineup gives you more flexibility and ability to react to changes in the game. Naylor can go into the back three if needed, if the fullbacks are too far forward, or if you need a 10, Cannon can move up there and Morris can drop back into the holding midfield. He's he's actually set it up here about boys with a 4-1-2-2-1. Two, two so it's a 4-3-3, three, three, but mm. one uh, Naylor just sitting in the pivot, basically, uh, in holding midfield. So that I would like to see that, attacking-wise. Um Andy was saying if you think maybe that two holding midfielders might be might be the way that Jacket goes, and I think it probably is the way that that Jacket will go. But maybe I suppose when we're on the back foot, you could push one of those midfielders forward. Yeah, um, exactly. I I really like the lineup that Jacket's Jacket sent in. To be honest with you, I don't have anything negative to say about it. I think it's the logic's there behind it, and I would be more than happy if that's how we lined up for um, Saturday. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Ports will suit the four-three-three, don't they? To an extent, because you've got the defensive fielder in Naylor, you've got the deep line playmaker, if you want to use that term for Morris, uh, and then you've got Cannon, who who's given the free role to to press, to agitate, and to uh, support the front three. So yeah, I, I would go with that, but uh, Jacket loves his four-two-three-one, so I don't see him changing that. No, we've been banging on about using four three three all last season, didn't we, Freddie? It was getting a bit dull, but four three three. Let's keep that going. Let's get that. Let's get that going. Um, jacket's jacket in. So I say. Um, <laughs> not just me saying it, mate, as well, because controversial Colton also agrees with him. He says, "Can't you know?" Uh, so we've lost the post as always. Can't disagree with that selection. Expect Morris to be deeper, but other than that, that's my starting um, eleven. Agreed. Um, Matthew Loader messaged in. Cheers, mate. He said, "With the players we currently have." The team is an absolute no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. Plenty of goals and creativity in the front three, a good blend of energy and steel, and whatever Bryn Morris does in the midfield. Uh, attacking mm. full-backs at the wingers' kind. Everyone seems to be pretty hyped about the, the, the side at the moment. Would you say that's a fair thing, Freddie? Do you think that with these two, the additions of these two full-backs who we're going we're gonna to talk shortly to, um, we're not going to talk to them, we're going to talk to some podcasts about it, um, do you feel that, the the mood has lifted around Fratton Park with the fans. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I think it was obvious for a long time that that, that fans were getting agitated with transfers. Um, but even even in that even that even in that EFL Trophy game, it was obvious that with more advanced fullbacks, Portsmouth could do very well because they can't do what they did two years ago when they had the back four that dropped deep, held everything down, and got a clean sheet and. And well, uh, they definitely need that for the pressing, which they did very well last season when they went on that run for a long time from January to March, where they didn't uh, didn't lose a game. So yeah, I, I, I'm happy with the signings. I think everybody really is. And if you look at that starting eleven on paper, if there's no injuries, can you name many teams that are that are better than that? I know not the top twenty podcast predicts us to finish second uh, and get automatic promotion. I said, beyond well, optimistic. That is stunningly optimistic yeah I, I i said love the optimism i think i think we'll be there or thereabouts and uh they, they didn't understand that we that we had criticism of kenny jacket very much but there we go um but yeah I, I, the fans have got every reason to like the lineup on paper we just got to see how it works first and we've spoken to george ellick on the podcast when we're doing the um preview in the oxford the oxford game so we, we know what we know what George is thinking about, and he thinks that you know we came very close again against Oxford, and then could have quite easily gone on and beaten Wickham. And I know there's fine margins in the game, so 
not trying to say we're going to come second. I don't agree with you, George, unfortunately, on this on this one. Because genuinely, I do agree with a lot of stuff he says. But on this particular occasion, I, I can't see us coming second. But you know what? If we got to go out there and sign a, a top-level, you know, centre-back and stuff, there's no reason why a team can't push on um, and, you know, be there or thereabouts, I'm going to say that. Yeah, I, right. don't, I, I don't think Ports are going to have a massive drop-off and finish 11th. I think they'll be around where they were last season, uh, especially yeah. with the new signings. Before uh, before that, people were more pessimistic, which I understand, because the back four just didn't look very good. Right, and now it's time to have a deep dive into Callum Johnson. And we thought that, you know, the three of us here, we know we know a bit about him, you know, scouting-wise, but we need to give you guys the actual lowdown on what kind of player Callum Johnson is, uh, what kind of person he is, and, you know, how he's been doing at Accrington Stanley. So um, we reached out to Phil um, at Aki Rising. Um, he's the host of the Across the Pitch Accrington podcast. Um, I've spoken to Phil before on their podcast as well. He's a great guy. Um, he's got a lot of knowledge on Arkington football. So it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, Phil. How are you, mate? Well, absolute pleasure to be asked onto the podcast. And, uh, uh, you know, Callum, he is, like I, I said, the, the term I used is top bloke. Uh, he's been on our podcast twice. And so he came over from uh, Middlesbrough when Accrington was in, in League Two back in the 2017-18 season. Uh, and then he was part of that team that won the, the League Two Championship. Uh, and then he, he's a player where you've really seen him grow over the past few seasons. It, and a lot of that has to do with his work ethic. Uh, he's uh, been told by many people have told me that he's the guy on the club that spent the most time in the film room every week. Uh, the the other thing is, uh, I remember when he was on the show, one of the things that I asked him, I said, so uh, playing in a place like Accrington, one of the things that we hear from guys that, that maybe moved up from London is that uh, it's a lot easier to focus on your football in a town like Accrington because there's not the nightlife and things like that. And I said, have you felt that? And he said, well, I, I wouldn't be in the nightlife anyway. This is a guy that eats, sleeps, and breathes football. Well, I mean, that's, that's good to hear, especially. And do you think that it's going to be an easy transition for him then coming down from maybe a club like Accrington who, uh, with respect, don't have the same media pressure as, as a team like Portsmouth? Is he going to be able to cope with that? Well, I mean, that's something that, that might be a little bit uh, different from him. I, I mean, certainly I think from an on-the-field perspective that, that he'll be just fine, that he'll fit into the, the system there. Um, I definitely think he he's not a, a guy that... Uh, has a huge ego. I mean, he's a, a hard-working guy. He's a guy that uh, he's gotten to where he is by working to get there. Uh, and I just, I don't think that media pressure would necessarily be too much for him because I think he's the kind of guy that's his own biggest critic anyway. No, that's great so, to hear. Sorry, I need to go, mate. What, what sort of uh, traits does does he bring to the starting eleven? Is he sort of a quick pacey, going to be overlapping the right midfielder player and attacking the box and then trying to track back in time? Or is he a defensive player who would bomb forward slightly less often? What sort of traits is he going to bring to the Pompey side? Uh, okay, so he, he's definitely got a good amount of pace. Uh, I mean, he, I would say uh, above average. Uh, we, we say speed on the side of the pod uh, <laughs> instead of pace. But So yeah, he, he's got above average speed or above average pace. He's not lightning fast or, or anything like that. But he's definitely a guy that, that gets forward. Uh, last season, uh, I don't know for 100% if he finished up that way, but for most of the last season, he was uh, leading League One and crosses hit into the box. And now crosses hit into the box is one thing, but this is a guy that hits crosses into the box that find their way into the back of the net. No, that's no, great no, to I hear. think um, of course we do need uh, fullbacks or, or any wide players who, who 
um, have a very good crossing ability. It's one of the main ways that Portsmouth score goals, create space, and generally attack some players. So, um, what do you, how, how would you rate uh, Johnson's defensive capabilities? His defensive game is very good. He's a, he's a good tackler. Uh, he's a good on-the-ball defender. I would say the, the one and only criticism that I have of his game is that he tends to maybe play forward a little bit too much uh, and then kind of finds himself scrambling to get back on defense. That, that would be the only kind of criticism I have is, you know, maybe... Uh, he plays forward a bit too much sometimes, but when he's back and he's in position, he's as good of an on-the-ball defender. Uh, he's tall. I, I believe he's about 6'1", so I mean, he, he's certainly good at the air as well. I think that will work with Pompey in a sense. We were talking about this a bit earlier on in the podcast, Phil, and it was... Pompey like to play two sort of holding midfielders almost who he will basically what they'll do is they'll they'll drop and track back a bit when when he goes forward so someone like Tom Naylor will you know will be there to to get that extra cover if if he does go forward so um, in a system with those sort of two holding players i think that will probably benefit um him as a player I mean, you reached out to that was out to exactly him. what I was going to say. Is when I had watched Portsmouth, it looked like based on the formation that you guys play, that he would really be an ideal fit, uh, especially with with you guys looking for wings to shoot forward. And like I said, I mean, how often do you see uh, a fullback that's leading the league and crosses to the box? Usually, that's going to be a winger. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think our right-hand side, Phil, I know we were chatting over message anyway about um, just well before he signed and, and afterwards about it. Um, Marcus Harness, he plays in the right. He's a very talented winger. He's quick. He can beat people and stuff. But he was getting marked over, so double double marks, etc. quite a lot because our other right-back, James Bolton, is a very defensive right-back, especially in comparison. So it's it's a breath of fresh air to know that he's going to have somebody who's on his shoulder creating that space and hopefully that's going to enable one of our players maybe to have a bit more a bit more ability going forward as well um oh yeah absolutely if you're looking for a guy that, that's going to create from that position that, that you've got your man i i i'm a fan over here i'm, I'm from phoenix arizona even though i'm uh, coming out about accrington and i'm actually uh, i wrote the accrington stanley supporters club of north america so if you are by any chance listening from north america and you have an interest in, in league one then uh, we're kind of the, the big league one people uh over uh, state side if you will but uh, uh so over here we have the usl championship in our team phoenix rising uh we play a very uh, aggressive style almost kind of based on the the liverpool jurgen klopp uh, kind of style and we, we have uh, only mm. really one fullback that's able to get forward right now and I, I was just kind of thinking man if Phoenix Rising had Callum uh, he would be just the, the perfect guy that we would need for our system so if you play a system where you need the fullbacks to get forward I, I mean Callum's going to be perfect for you. Mm. He sounds like um, an integral player for Portsmouth in the upcoming season I noticed that Ports have got him on a really cheap deal. Uh, £200,000 is the, is the reported figure where um, Preston were linked with him. Um, I think it was um, either last summer or last January. Do you think that it's a bargain buy for Ports at that price? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a couple of things in play here. Uh, last year, he would have had last year plus this year left on his contract this is the final year of his contract so obviously the uh, the price goes down the other thing that, that you're looking at here is that with the salary cap now with COVID-19 it certainly is going to drive down prices but I heard rumors of, of maybe seven or eight hundred k last year um, so so to get him for 200 even with only the one year left on his contract because I mean I think that he's a guy that has the ability to play at the championship so so if Pompey is able to get promoted this year he's a guy that you could take up and sign at the championship 
Uh, or he would also be a guy where if he is coming back in league one next year, then you're going to be in a position of, of signing him at a salary that's going to have to fit under the salary cap, assuming they have that again next year, that he's going to be a bargain uh, a bargain contract in league one. Because he, he, he's definitely, to to me, he, he's only, I think he turns 24 this year. So, I, I mean, uh, he, he's a guy that's coming into his prime uh, and I, I definitely think his ceiling is a regular player at the championship level oh that's great to hear isn't it boys getting a, a player who's you know could potentially play in the championship for 200k is absolutely fantastic business once again thank you for coming on the podcast it's much appreciated and i know the listeners will appreciate it too well, absolutely. And it was an honor to come on and I'll come on anytime to, uh, to talk about Accrington and, uh, on Stanley on and, uh, uh, certainly good luck to Poppy this year and I'll have an eye on Callum and it always be rooting for him. Yeah, no. And everyone follow, uh, across the pitch podcast for your Accrington news at across the pitch. Thanks Phil. Thank Cheers you. mate. Cheers. Appreciate it. Cheers. Bye. So we're joined here by Tom Lines from Warsaw Fan Podcast One Pod Beyond. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. Good to join you. No, no, it's How a are pleasure. We for the new season, Tom. Yeah, there's a um, a slightly unsettling feeling of uh, of optimism, um, which <laughs> is uh, which is rare for us. But um, yeah, it was it was very much a season of transition um, last season, which I'll probably talk about a bit more. But um, but yeah, I think we, we've managed to keep um, almost all of our uh, squad from last season. So um, uh, we've added a few few uh, quality extras. So yeah, I think top seven's got to be uh, a realistic expectation this season. So would you be disappointed with anything worse than worse than seventh? Basically, is that the general feeling of the fan base? Do you think? I would. I, I would be um, if we were, you know, um, allowed back in stadiums. Um, I would be throwing my season ticket at the dugout if we, uh, we can <laughs> at least make the sort of uh, the, the top eight or nine. Um, missing out might just be about okay, but I think, yeah, expectation this season is that uh, we should be pushing the top seven. Mm, mm, good. So uh, the reason why we've got Tom on is because he's going to tell us a little bit more about Ports, new, new Ports are signing Cameron Pring. He signed on a season-long loan from Bristol City this season and looks to compete against Lee Brown at right back. I wrote a bit about him for left back, left back. Excuse me. <laughs> um, I've wrote a bit about him for Port Pompey news now, which you can look at, but we're just going to ask Tom just a couple of questions. So it, it generally, how, how did you think Cameron played last season? Yeah. I mean, on his debut against Northampton, um, he played at left wing back. Um, and I thought we had a, a real player on our hands. He was, Direct, pacey, um, loved to take people on, and he was he was actually unlucky not to get a goal. Um, I think uh, there were a few things that probably um, affected his, his season with us a little bit. Uh, number one, um, injuries. Um, he had a bit of a stop-start time with us. He never really got a, an extended period in the squad because he had a few um, niggly injuries. Uh, number two, as I kind of alluded to earlier, it was a very transitional season for us, and. Um, uh, you know, we had the biggest turnover of players in all four divisions. So um, it was almost a completely new side. Um, coming into that wasn't um, easy for any of the players, but um, uh, he still did pretty well. I, I guess that the only other thing that maybe um, uh, affected him a little bit was that we brought him in as a wing back and then almost immediately stopped playing with wing backs. Um, so um, I think that affected him a little bit. Um, he's very much that sort of bombing on, um, loves to take people on. Um, I think he actually started as a winger. Um, so you can see why he's made that transition to to wing back. Um, and perhaps our style of play didn't um, entirely suit him but um you know um i would still put him down as having um had a, a solid if stop start season for us mm. so he managed to uh, suit well in the back four then yeah he, he slotted in really well he um he came in um you know with really good um notices and you know it, it was clear that um 
Clark, uh, Daryl Clark, the manager, really rated him. Obviously, um, he, we, we've sort of made a habit of uh, of taking players from Bristol City, and we've got some uh, we've had some really good ones. We signed Rory Holden um, on a permanent deal um, over the summer, who was on loan from Bristol City, and, and he's already looking like he's going to be a big, big player for us this season. So it's a Bristol City are a club, who, you know, who, who are bringing some really, really good youngsters through I think a lot of fans would have liked um, Pring back um, but um, that wasn't to be I think it's interesting he's gone to a league one club I think that shows you how uh, how highly Bristol City rate him um, so uh, instead of getting him we've just gone for another Bristol City left back um, so we've uh, we've actually signed um, another one of their um, young left backs um, George Nurse on a um, on a season-long loan uh, to replace him he seems to be, in terms of career tra- trajectory, if you look at the clubs he's been loaned out at, starting at Guernsey, Merthyr Tidville, Aldershot, Hereford, Newport County, obviously likes his Welsh sides, uh, Cheltenham Town and then you guys. So in terms of trajectory, he seems to be you know, moving from one club to sort of a, a larger club. If you're looking at sort of Merthyr up to, to Walsall, it's a big jump up. Yeah. Um, what sort uh, of... Uh, Sorry, you go. No, I was just going to say it certainly seems to be an upward trajectory in terms of um, the teams he's been loaned out for. So, um, yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to see how he gets on for uh, for Pompey this season. Uh, has he? Do you think he's been signed as um, as first choice left back, or is he in there for competition? Excellent question, Tom. Um, a lot of us are hoping so. I think that would be a fair comment. Um, our left back at the moment is someone who divides opinion. It's kind of like Brexit. You're either very pro or very anti, and there's not that many in the middle, I'd say. Um, I'd say the majority are probably hoping that he'd be first choice. What do you think, Freddie? He's a very, uh, Karen Pring's just a completely different option to Lee Brown, which I like. Uh, I think Brown play, played had a decent, se- de- decent if not spectacular season at left-back. Very highly defensive. Got excellent defensive l- numbers in League One. Also had a high expected assist ratio, so he... he I think it was about three and a half, even though he got no assists this season. So, so he has some creativity, but the problem for me is um, off the ball. Um, he's not that great at supporting our left winger Roland Curtis up front, so that can be an issue. And with Cameron Pring's dribbling ability, I've got his dribbling stats here. Um, last season for Walsall, he had a 63% dribble success rate and 5.47 dribbles per 90, which is high up there for left-backs in the two and in general as well. So um, what do you think, um, Tom, that dribbling and off-the-ball movement, do you think that those are Pring's best qualities? Yeah, definitely. Um, it, he absolutely loves a, loves a dribble. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, that first game against Northampton, um, he absolutely um, terrorised uh, Northampton's right-back, um, was incredibly direct and um, you know, uh, uh, very creative as well. Um, it was it was almost a shame that after that high point, um, we perhaps didn't play to his strengths um, in terms of getting him further up the field. Um, but yeah, in terms of um, directness and taking people on, dribbling with the ball, um, he's absolutely going to give you that. How would you say he is uh, defensively as a whole? So, I mean, Pompey had a, a player, Adam Webster, came through our, our youth system and he's now at Brighton, actually. So his career's taken a an upward trajectory as well, who was yeah, excellent going forward, but potentially a bit suspect at the back. Would you say that that would be similar for Pring or is he someone you would, you'd feel fairly confident in, in that defensive position as well, if he's you know, facing a, a right midfielder one-on-one? I would definitely say he's better going forward. Um, but I think um, defensive qualities tend to be um, something that um, you can coach into players a bit more or perhaps with a bit more experience that that will come. Um, so I'd be more worried if he wasn't, um, you know, uh, good at going forward rather than defending. But um, yeah, I'm not by any means saying that he's a liability, um, but neither is he sort of a complete um, all-round um, attacking and um, defensive uh, wing back, um, but he, you know, he will give you uh, options going forward, and you know he's he's relatively solid at the back as well. No, no, that's great. Um, if you if you had to pinpoint an area of his game where which needs improvement, what do you what do you think it would be? Um, dif- difficult to say, really. Um, I mean, he was he was so um, in and out of the side um, last year. 
Um, it was almost like he, uh, he occasionally neglected the defensive side of his duties. So I know that he had um, one game, I think it was uh, possibly against Morecambe, where he was so bad that um, uh, Daryl Clark actually called him out about it after the game. Um, and then the next week he was absolutely brilliant um, and Clark made a joke of that as well. Um, so it was almost as if Clark understood that, you know, coming in and out of the side hadn't really um, done him any favours. But um, yeah, it's generally it's, it's, it's the defensive side of his game, um, tracking back after he's got forward, that would probably be um, the one thing I would flag. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, in an interview I did with Jay Suchik or Blades Analytics, he said that, Pring is the sort of player who definitely can make the step up to League One now because the gap between the divisions isn't that small. Uh, what do you think? Do you think he can slot in to a, to a League One side that's gunning for promotion? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, he should, like with all players, it should help playing in a in a better team, shouldn't it? And if you're um, if you're doing more attacking than defending, as you would expect to be in League One this season, then um, that's going to play to his strengths. No, that's great. Well, thank you very much, Tom. Unless you, Andy's got any any more questions to add. Um, no, thank you very much for your time, Tom. I appreciate it. Good luck for the season, mate. Hope it goes well. Yeah, uh, you're very welcome. And um, good luck to Pompey this season as well. All right, boys. It's the first game of the season, League One. Let's have it. Pompey, again, are playing Shrewsbury. I don't know if that's match fixing or if that's just luck or generator or whatever it is. But we're playing Shrewsbury. Are we feeling confident, Freddie? Uh, yeah, I'm very confident about Portsmouth going into this game. Um, I think if they set up tactically well, then I think they should be able to beat Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury haven't uh, improved their side going forward. They've still only really got come dog Jason Cummings up front, who only scored four goals last season. Uh, That famous goal in the League Cup, but has done little else. They'll be a frustrating side defensively. They've got two excellent centre-halves, so I like Aaron Pierre and... Even even Ebanks Lendl. So if Portsmouth go too direct and focus too much on crossing, I could see that being a problem. But if they play the the two new new fullbacks, Pring and Johnson, and employ a high press, uh, utilize those wide areas properly to uh, spread out Shrewsbury back four, I think Portsmouth should be okay. Yeah, Andy, we've looked at Shrewsbury for you know quite a few seasons now as so we've been sharing the league with our pals up there and let's be honest attacking wise they've looked pretty poor this season well sorry in past seasons generally so have they signed anyone in particular that's grabbed your attention up front who you think can go and kick on and get them these goals they've been desperately missing um to be honest no um that's absolutely famous last words for for them scoring a few against us at the weekend um but as freddie said goal scoring is a definitely an issue for them so other than Bolton last year they were the lowest uh, goal scorers in the league I think they scored 31 I think that could be wrong um, in over the course of the season before it was curtailed uh, and they don't really have that out and out goal scorer obviously uh, Cummings has just got mentioned by Freddie there but even he scored four in 24 last year and was joint top goal scorer so they do share the goals around the team that they do score rather than relying on one person. Um, and as a result, they're fairly reliant on set pieces as a result uh, in terms of goal-scoring threat. In terms of bringing in players, uh, they brought in Raquel Pike, whose name I may have just absolutely massacred. Apologies that was if good. so. No, I think that was decent. Um, and I think he's from Huddersfield originally, but um, he was on loan at Rochdale last year and scored one in 13. Um, if... Well, when Pompey bring in players with that sort of goal-scoring record, there's normally some sort of Twitter backlash. Um, so there aren't any of their real forward players who who scream that they're going to be, you know, real dangers. Like when you come up against a, a Peterborough in previous seasons, you'd say, you know, even Tony is going to be the big threat. Um, normally teams in League One have got that one goal-scorer that you do really, really fear, and they don't have that. They do spread the goals around the, the team slightly more. So... I, I don't think it's going to be a game that we can extrapolate too much from in terms of the whole season um, because we're going to be coming up against a team who are fairly defensive, fairly compact, and they're going to try and hit us from from dead balls. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to take too much away from the game in terms of looking forward. 
but yeah, hopefully we'll take away three points. You'd you'd fancy us to if we can utilize that that wing play and not rely on you know pumping the ball up to, to John Marquis facing away from goal against two very strong centre backs. Yeah, and if you look at the way they line up, actually, they play quite a four-three-three attacking. Well, this is the only game we've seen them play this season. Um, but in the EFL Cup, they played a four-three-three attacking formation, so two players pressing. Basically, what we, what we can dub the jacket jacket formation. So, if effectively we play and we line up in in a similar way, it's going to be a battle of the same sort of system. Um, but we mm. do know that Cummings and, and Wally will drop deep, basically, uh, if needed, and provide further defensive cover which could leave Pike up front on his own chasing shadows around. But the last thing we need to do in this game is, is concede an early goal. If we, yeah, if we, if we concede an early goal, then they can defend well. Um, I don't have a clue what their new goalkeeper's like. Um, in fact, <laughs> let's be honest, we've got no hardly any stats for this. We've, got, we've done a bit of scouting. There's nothing much to say apart from the fact is if we concede early, Shrewsbury Town are a good defensive side. Can Pompey break down a side like that who sit deep? Jacket does like to counter-attack. Freddie, what do you reckon, mate? Uh, yeah, well, it, it would. I think, though, that Portsmouth should be all right. If they get the early goal, I don't, I don't think there'll be any issue uh, in this game. Um, well, Shrewsbury, if Shrewsbury get the early goal. If Shrewsbury get the early goal, then it would be a struggle for Portsmouth. I think it would have to depend on, again, as we said, how Jacket wants to... Um, how, how he wants to set up his team going forward if he wants to utilize the wide areas too much with crossing it's not going to work because they'll just fill the middle and Ebanks, Lendl and Pierre can just head the ball out uh, until the next day essentially but um, if um, if the fullbacks are given a chance to press give it a bit more license to support the wingers and the midfield then we can spread. Then we can utilize those wide areas to spread the play a bit. It just it, it Portsmouth would need to be patient and not, as we've seen them a lot when they, if they're behind by a goal and tra- and chasing the game it, to uh, essentially throw everything at it and cross every two minutes, which doesn't work. I mean, it's worth saying here, Hugh, that we're we're saying it's we think it's going to be generally low scoring, etc., based on. The track record from from last season but the one competitive game they have played this year was 4-3 so you know maybe they have had a complete upheaval in the two weeks they had off and they're suddenly going to start playing attacking flowing open football you, you'd well, think it's unlikely well, but, that, uh, no that is something i think sam rickett said that, it, that he was going to play a different style i don't think some of the shrewsbury fans were a bit on his back about it and i think that he said he was going to come out the manager of shrewsbury that is and said that he was going to come out and play a more attacking style of football and a more entertaining style of football and he did go with a 4-3-3 with only one player playing in the holding position in that pivot so if, maybe, if you look at the if you look at the stats from that game they make if you're looking at passing accuracy that middlesbrough game they had i've just got the numbers up now pass accuracy middlesbrough 59% shrewsbury 65% both of which that's, that's abysmal to be honest with you um so yeah potentially trying to play what quick ticky tacker that's gone wrong or long balls that were getting intercepted. I don't know which of those two it was, but it looks like it was a bit of a, a scrappy game with a lot of possession changes. This should be a win, boys, shouldn't it? This this game here should be a win for Pompey. I, I can't see any way around it. I'm looking at it and maybe maybe everyone's going to be really fucked off with me after this and say why did you think this should be an easy win? But let's be honest, boys, this should be a win that Pompey come away with a couple of goal leads uh, and cruise the victory. I'm going to say it now, boys. This is going to be a Pompey victory for me, um, and I'm going to go with a score of 3-0. Uh, I agree with you. I don't see, on paper anyway, why Portsmouth shouldn't win this game unless something, unless the, unless we, the Portsmouth don't get the bounces like in that first game, but I don't see that. I think Portsmouth will win 2-0. Andy, what's your score prediction, mate? Um, I've never said anything other than a win for Pompey on this pod, other than when we played uh, the team we don't like up the road in the in the Cup last year. So I'll stick with that. I think, um, yeah, I think I'll go either 2-0, 3-0. I, the way we're going to concede, if we no, concede, no, no, I think no, no, is no, from... No, 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 no. Pick one of them. All right. Uh, well, you've 
both pick one each. So it's, okay, yeah, so you need to pick one as well, Andy. Right, I'm going to go four then, just for shits and gigs. Yeah, it's a score prediction. It's a it's a score prediction, Andy. Not not a either one of your one. You are so much fun at parties, honestly. Uh, okay, I'm going four nil. <laughs> four nil, Pompey. You heard it here first. Sandy Mitchell has potentially cursed everyone. Now I'm joking. Um, it, it's not just us though, guys, who think that the fans. It's not just us guys who think that. Uh, Pompey going to cruise to victory. We put a poll out there, and again, everyone thanks again for voting. It was really short notice because someone who runs the PO Forecast account didn't get the question out quick enough. Um, but yeah, 251 votes were sent in. Pompey win. 79% of our fans think that Pompey will win. Uh, 13% think a draw, and only 8% of people think that Shrewsbury will get a win. So people are confident. We're confident. The podcast confident. The fans are confident. And all I can say now is Pompey, get on the pitch, bring it home, 3 0, let's do this. Boys, anything else to say before we close off? No, that's everything from me. Stay safe, everyone. Yeah, stay safe. Enjoy. uh, Hopefully, we can enjoy the season that's going to come up. I think it'll be a good one. That's it. Stay safe. um, And until next time, uh, Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.